Good morning. Um, This might be a surprise, but I am not Pastor Steve. My name is Polly Pierce, and I am the Director of Student Ministries here at Faith Westwood. And it is my joy to be with you this morning. I'm excited that you're here um, and just excited to share something with you. We are very blessed, side note, we are very blessed to have a great pastor who was able to take a great vacation. He is in Kentucky hanging out with Trisha's family, so that is awesome. Um, We're very, we're excited that he has that chance. So today, you get me. Awesome, here we go. Um, So in preparation for this morning, um, Pastor Steve asked me, he said, Polly, I want you to share about something that you're passionate about. The first thing that came to my mind was, um, <laughs> it was my dog, Remington, uh, but I don't think that you want to hear 25 or 30 minutes of golden retriever dog stories. Um, and I also don't think it's quite scriptural, so we'll go with plan B and we'll talk about something else. So we are going to talk today about the Old Testament. We're gonna start there. I love the Old Testament. Now, I know that the Old Testament, sometimes it gets a bad rap. There are various opinions out there and feelings about the Old Testament. Um, And so I thought I would share with you some of my sort of misconceptions or what my thoughts were um, about the Old Testament before I was shown maybe a different way to read the Old Testament. So number one, here we go. Uh, The Old Testament is old, so why read it? Uh, We have the New Testament now. It's like New to Old Testament 2.0. So we're fine. We're, we'll be okay. Uh, number two, there are so many names that I cannot pronounce and it scares me and so I just sort of skip over it. By the way, great job, Brian. Where did you go? Brian, great job. Great job. Um, Old Testament, I know a couple stories. I got Adam and Eve, check. Uh, Moses, Noah, check. I got that. The rest of the Old Testament, I'm not really for sure what comes next or where it goes and all of that. I like it just sort of confusing. So we just move on. Uh, number four, I get lost when I read the book of Numbers and the book of First and Second Kings. On top of that, I feel like a bad Christian because I can't even make it through one chapter before falling asleep because it's not a page turner. Don't even get me started on the books at the ends of the Old Testament. I understand that they're prophets, but that's about all I know. Uh, Which leads me to number five. There are so many books in the Old Testament, I do not remember which order they're in, and so when I'm trying to look up a Bible verse in the Old Testament, I get a little nervous and I can't find it, and I just get a little flustered. So, before, I would just sort of put off the Old Testament. It's just old, we're just not gonna look at it. Now, I know something different. What I didn't realize about the Old Testament is there are so many gold mines. These gold mines lead us to knowing God more. So here's a thought, a thought for you this morning. God has not changed. God's character of love is a common thread that is woven throughout all of Scripture. It's not just when it's easy to find in in the Gospels or in Paul's letter, but it's throughout the every piece of scripture. So speaking of the Old Testament, where do we find ourselves today with today's reading? Ruth is a great story. So let's give you some context so you sort of understand what's going on when uh, we have our scripture this morning. So we have Joshua. Uh, Joshua um, was raised up as a leader from Moses, and Joshua led the people into the promised land. 
He led the Israelites there. Uh, Joshua passes away, and then the Israelites don't really know what to do. They have no direction, um, and so they just sort of flounder about. In Judges, the book that's right after Joshua, uh, in the second chapter, Scripture goes on to tell us that after Joshua's generation passes away, that another generation grew up who, ne- who knew neither the Lord nor what he, what he had done for Israel. So from there, the Israelites began to worship uh, the Baal gods, which obviously angered the Lord. The Israelites, in turn, just are given over to the hands of neighboring groups, and they are conquered over and over again. Obviously, this leaves the Israelites in great distress as a group of people. So in the book of Judges, not too much longer after, um, in chapter 2, it tells us, Scripture tells us that the Lord raises up judges. He raises up leaders to guide and to walk with the Israelite people. Whenever the Lord would raise up a leader, when he would raise up a judge, the Lord would then walk with this judge, and he would save them from the hand of his neighboring enemies, and he would, the Lord would walk with his judge until he would pass away. But when the judge would die, the people would return to their corrupt ways. They had no leader. So this cycle happened over and over and over and over again, which then led the Israelites Um, into a season of famine and some unruly times around them. And this is where Ruth starts. The story of Ruth begins. So, if you wouldn't mind, if you can can grab a pew Bible in front of you or turn to the beginning of Ruth, um, and this story is going to start in your pew Bible on page 263. 263. I feel like I'm calling out bingo. So chapter 1, verse 1, at the very beginning. (coughs) In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, what you need to know about Moab is it's not just a hop and skip and jump away from where they are at in Bethlehem. You can see on the map here, uh, so Moab is that purple shape. And so uh, the body of water that is just to the left of it is the Dead Sea. To the left of that, that is Judah. I mean, you can sort of see Jerusalem there, and underneath Jerusalem, about 70 miles is where Bethlehem would have been. So you can sort of just guesstimate where Bethlehem would be. Because of the Dead Sea, uh, Naomi and her family were not able just to cross it. It was not a good thing to cross. It was not a good body of water. So In order to get to Moab, her family had to walk to journey north out and around Moab. Now, the interesting thing also about Moab, it was not an Israelite country. These were people who were not followers of God. So Naomi and her family, when they decided to leave because of famine, they decided to leave for a country that they did not know and that a country that did not support their faith. So think about picking up your whole entire family because you do not have food to move to another country. You have no idea what's going to happen. This is where Naomi and her family find themselves. So they're in Moab. Uh, uh, Naomi's husband passes away. Uh, Then the two sons marry Moabite women. And uh, and then the sons pass away. So Naomi is left with Orpha and Ruth. 
So let's skip down to verse 6 of chapter 1. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. So the story goes on to tell that Orpha decides to stay back in, in Moab. But Ruth joins Naomi on the journey back to Bethlehem. So here goes Naomi and Ruth back on this long journey back to a home. And I think this is where the story begins to get interesting. So Naomi and Ruth are back in Bethlehem, and Ruth offers to go get some grain for the two of them. And Ruth happens just to stop by in a field to glean um, some of the um, grain that had been left behind during harvest season. Uh, So uh, farmer technology, or farmer words here, um, gathering or to glean was just to literally pick up the grains that had been left by the people in front of them. So there were harvesters coming through, and if they didn't catch it all or they dropped some, this is what uh, Ruth was picking up. So she was picking up the leftovers. In verse 3 of chapter 2, it states that as it turns out, the field belonged to Boaz. So enter Boaz into the story. Here he is. So far, this story sort of seems like any other story. It's not really exciting. In its own context, it sounds like a normal day. No earth-shattering miracles or mountains that have been moved. Just two women at Bethlehem, and now one of them is gathering grain so they can eat. Okay, so we're moving on. So Ruth comes home from gleaning the fields, and she says um, to Naomi, Naomi, I was in Boaz's field today. And Naomi literally freaks out. In uh, chapter 2, verse 20 of Ruth, if you, can, you can read along with me if you'd like. This is what Naomi then says to Ruth. She says, this man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Guardian redeemer, or maybe a kinsman redeemer, um, depending on what your translation says, um, that is a family member who would help out an extended family member in a time of great distress or loss. Usually it meant when there was going to be um, some disconnect with the family line or some property loss. So here is Boaz, who sort of unbeknownst shows up. He's this, he's this surprise in their day. But why does Naomi get really excited that Boaz is now in the story? You see, back in the culture, back in that day, the, the family, the family unit was a source of how you had food and shelter and just the basic necessities of life. Without being attached to a family, you didn't have much. And being that her husband had passed away and her two sons had passed away, she didn't have a lot. So she really didn't have much of a future either. So this is why Naomi was super excited. So Naomi tells Ruth, here we go, we got a plan. Ruth, I want you to go back and this is how I want you to interact with Boaz. This is how I want you to communicate with him. Ruth basically tell, or excuse me, Naomi basically tells Ruth to propose to Boaz and how to show her interest in marriage to Boaz. Then there's some discussion about um, the, in the family about this kinsman redeemer, this guardian redeemer piece. In the end, Boaz and Ruth are married, and they have a baby boy whose name is Obed. So Naomi and Ruth are connected back in the family, and all is good. The end. Wouldn't that be fun if that was just the end? It's not. But 
we move on. So you're ready for another story? Uh, this story, I think this is a good story. This is my story. If you were a student um, in student ministry or you're an adult student ministry leader, um, good, there's good chances that you've heard this story. Uh, if you've not, that's okay. I'm not for sure if I've told this story here in church, so um, this is my gift to you. Valentine's Day, February uh, 14th, 2004, I was a freshman at USF in Sioux Falls. And that night, I decided to join some of my friends from the dorm and some upperclassmen on an impromptu night of sledding in a park. Now, it was 11 o'clock and the parks closed at 10 o'clock, but that's okay, we're fine. We move on, we digress. So it was that night um, that my saucer and I decided to fly down a hill and find ourselves in a patch of trees. I could not move, I hurt all over, um, but most of all, it was my hip and my arm that hurt. I, we ended up having to call 911 and was then uh, carried up this tall hill with about mm, probably a foot of snow by a couple EMTs. Mind you, on Valentine's Day night, I'm sure they didn't want to be with a, a crazy college kid. They would rather have been home with their family. But I was taken to the ER. Five hours later, after being delivered to the ER, I was going into surgery. I had just shattered my left ulna and radius on, um, and was not feeling very well. I came out with a plate and six screws on each arm and was left with two ugly scars. Ten days after surgery, I went back to remove that plaster cast, and upon that removal, I can remember it clear as day. I was sitting there, and I could see my x-rays of my arm on the wall, and he took the cast off, and I looked down to see these really bright red scars, thick, ugly scars, and I started to cry. I knew that these two scars were never going to go away. I couldn't wish them away. I couldn't make them go away. I couldn't do anything. My arm was never going to be the same. It was never going to look like the other arm. I was never going to be the same. This is when my life changed. Out of the blue, friends from my dorm, actually really acquaintances that I had met earlier that semester, they became my friends. They introduced me to their friends, and they introduced me to their friends. And then it was that semester that I was started, I was introduced to what it looks like to own your own faith. I began to discover God and who he truly is and began my own journey of owning my faith. Where, where things were absolutely different from there on out. My life changed. Was it always lollipops and roses? Absolutely not. But my life had shifted. I think this is truly my reset that I got. It changed the, tra the trajectory of my life. Even though I didn't know it was coming or even wished about it. I didn't pray about it, I didn't hope for it, it just happened. I certainly wasn't desiring this sort of reset, but this is how life changed for me. And I sort of think the same thing is true for Ruth. 
I don't know if she knew that her reset was coming. Her husband had died. She leaves her country, everything she had ever known, to follow her mother-in-law. She starts to follow a God she, had nothing, she knew nothing about. But as it turns out, she happens just to stumble upon Boaz in his fields, and they get married and have a son. So let's pick up scripture back again. Chapter 4, verse 21. This is some more genealogy of Old Testament. Woohoo! So verse 21 starts with this. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David. Ding, 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 ding. Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. Just 12 generations later, Mary and Joseph show up. And they're in the story. And then we have Jesus. When we read the Old Testament, knowing the end game, knowing and seeing uh, the Old Testament with that, that Christ lens, we see God at work. See, this is why I love the Old Testament. Moreover, there is a thread that has been woven throughout the story of Ruth. If you haven't picked up on it quite yet, God really isn't mentioned a lot in this story. I don't, it, it's not because God's not in the picture. I just think that God's in the, as it turns out, that scripture tells us about. Ruth is a perfect story to talk about God's provisional nature. He loves being with his kids and caring for us. His nature is not just to sit around idly by twiddling his fingers, waiting for something to happen. God is in our every day. It's just who he is. Of all of these, as it happens, just it turns out, leads us to King David, which then leads us to Christ. So God is at work now in your life. In the midst of hustle and bustle of the holiday season, or just, heck, in the middle of the daily grind that we find ourselves in. I think it's super easy to find ourselves, or to lose ourselves, to lose sight of where God is and where God is working within us. But believe this, God is at work in you and around you. This fall has been one of the hardest seasons that I have had to, gone th to go through in a really long time. When I heard that our Advent sermon series was going to be about reset, I was excited. I remember sitting at the Thanksgiving Eve service with a message about forgiveness, and one of the songs that was shared, the lyrics went like this. So take me as you find me, all my fears and all my failures. Fill my life again. I will give my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender. Surrendering, that's a pretty good reset. This is exactly the idea, this, the longing for a giant reset that I was wanting, that I so desired. I want my life to be a bunch of, as it turns out, I want to be able to point my life back to all of God's goodness, whether I see it in the time or I don't. But someday I can look back and say, I had no idea what was going on, but God was at work. 
Sometimes it is hard for us to see God. Sometimes it feels like everything is against you, nothing is working out, the darkness is set in, there's no light, and your fears are surrounding. But you can hold on to the truth, to this truth, that God is good. God is in the everyday. God is at work in and around my life. God is at work in and around your life. No matter the fears, no matter the past. So whether God has or is currently in the process of a reset for you, know that God is good. He is working in and around you. Maybe you find yourself yearning for a reset and you just wish your life could be different. Know that God is good. He's not going anywhere, as it turns out. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We just praise you for your nature that doesn't change, that is good and um, faithful. God, we pray that God, as we just enter a season of, of newness, of new, our new year, God, that you would help us to remember that, that you, you would remind us your goodness. God, that you would show up in our lives, that you would open our eyes and our ears to where you are working at. God, that we would trust you in, in all of that, even though maybe we don't see it. God, we would cry out, we would yearn, and we would reach out for you. God, we know that you would be there. God, we praise you. Amen.